Welcome to the Political Pharmacist Podcast, the first podcast to focus on the political side of pharmacy. Here's your host, Eric Geyer. Welcome, Political Pharmacist Podcast listeners. I'm your host, Eric Geyer, and with me today I have Dr. Victoria Reinhardt. Dr. Reinhardt is an assistant professor of, pre- of pharmacy practice at LeCom down in Bradenton, Florida, and is a consultant pharmacist at Manatee County uh, Community Paramedicine Program. She went to school at LeCom in Bradenton, Florida, and is the founder and CEO of Mobile Health Consultants, Inc. Dr. Reinhardt is also a national finalist for Next Generation Pharmacist Award in Civic Leadership cat- or Civic Leader category, and she recently had a study published that was about incorporating pharmacists' role in mobile integrated health teams, a cost-benefit analysis, in the Journal for Emergency Medical Services. So thank you for joining me, Dr. Victoria Reinhardt. Thank you for having me. Awesome. So, hey, I've, I've been wanting to get you on here for a long time. One, because we're actually friends outside of this podcast, and we've known each other for, for quite some time, dating back to, I believe, about 2012. And I'm a huge fan of what you're doing down there when it comes to some of this emergency medicine or emergency medical services with pharmacists. You've kind of helped really pioneer, from what I've seen, pharmacy's role in this type of medical care. And with the recent study you had that was published in Mandy County, Florida, can you kind of elaborate on what the study was and kind of why you took this role on and all the things you've seen with it? Yeah, absolutely. You know, it's funny that you just said that, that we've known each other, I think, since 2012. I feel like you're being generous. I, I was going to date us back till all the way in pharmacy school in the 2009 arena. So 2012 sounds better to me and makes (laughs) us feel a little bit, a little bit younger maybe. Yeah. So I'd love to talk about it. So the study that was published in GEMS in August was kind of focused around the work that I do within the community paramedicine program. And really that was looking at basically the cost versus benefits of the interventions that resulted from partnerships between paramedics and pharmacists doing in-home visits with underserved populations in our community. You know, it might help too if we talk a little bit about the background of mobile integrated health, because I don't know if that's necessarily something that a lot of pharmacists are familiar with yet. I don't know if, how familiar you are with it. I'm really not a whole lot, other than just kind of following some of your adventures online from from Facebook and the like. Can you elaborate on that and just kind of go in uh, what started it and everything? Yeah. So, you know, we're all familiar with the fact that a lot of times the 911 system and ERs are used as primary care, right? Lots of rural areas are, you know, designated as medically underserved, lots of healthcare provider shortage areas. Access to primary care is a huge issue in a lot of our communities. And that's the same that we found here in Manatee County. Community paramedicine is the basis of that concept is expanding the role of paramedics and EMTs to include community health and address some of those public health needs of the underserved population. So that is the idea behind community paramedicine itself. Mobile integrated health is typically, you know, a backbone of community paramedics. But it also involves other healthcare providers. So nurse practitioners, licensed clinical social workers, mental, mental health providers, physicians. So any other, you know, interprofessional healthcare provider can join community paramedics and make that community paramedicine program a mobile integrated health program. And so mobile integrated health programs, again, are 
are pretty much the epitome of patient-centered care. And so we act as mobile resources where we provide care typically within the patient's home on a scheduled basis, but anywhere outside of the hospital environment. And then the efforts of community paramedicine programs and mobile integrated health programs are to, you know, not only address the, the disease issues, but to help coordinate resources between, you know, EMS and hospitals, other in-home care agencies, insurance companies, et cetera, so that uh, really the care of the patient becomes much more streamlined and communication between all of the parties is improved. And through doing so, the idea is that you close those gaps in the healthcare system and improve the health equity of those underserved populations. Okay, so you guys, and correct me if I if I missed anything here. You guys basically ride around with the paramedics in the EMS and kind of schedule those in home visits to these people. And as a pharmacist, you're going in there looking for meds, looking for things that can really help keep them out of like the hospital or improve adherence and things like that. Correct? Yeah. So in Manatee County, we started small, right? We started with like one or two paramedics and myself, and we would do you know in home visits, usually on a scheduled basis. So it's not like your traditional, the patient calls 911 before they're seen. Okay. Now we do see patients that are high system utilizers. So like if a patient calls 911 three times within 30 days, they get enrolled in our program, right? But then we schedule, you know, by appointment basically. But instead of them going somewhere, we come to them. And so, you know, we started way back in the end of 2016 with this partnership and it involved, you know, a paramedic and myself and we'd go to the patient home. Again, you hit the nail on the head. So my role was basically, you know, start with medication reconciliation, do a comprehensive medication review. And really through this process, you're playing detective a lot, right? Because none of the EHRs talk to each other and the primary care disease list and history is different from what they were seen in the ER for last week. And you know, that's different from what the specialists have on record as the correct medication list. And, and there's lots of different moving pieces that, you know, those, those pieces aren't communicating. And so as the pharmacist, I spend a lot of my time kind of playing detective and really evaluating, you know, what medications are missing, what medications are duplicating, what transitions of care needs have been missed, and, and what do we still need to address or correct. I also spend a fair amount of time, you know, doing the classic review of this patient is experiencing side effects or the dose is not appropriate for this patient because of kidney function or, you know, maybe the patient is due for follow-up lab work that was never completed because of access to care issues. And so we basically work to, you know, resolve all of those those different medication and disease-related issues. We also will do a lot of disease evaluation in the sense of if a patient is calling 911 for hypoglycemia several times within a month, then I'll look at the medications and I'll look at the insulin you know, doses and I will help to engage a tracking system, right? So we motivate the patient to adopt healthy behaviors, dietary changes, and tracking of their blood sugars or blood pressures. And that way we have the data that we need and that the physicians need to be able to really make positive changes for the patient's medication regimen. 
So one thing that we see a lot within within healthcare, but especially within pharmacy these days, is kind of like a cost justification. I'm sure initially you faced a little bit of pushback with, you know, how do we pay for this? But in, in your study, you showed just massive savings when it came to this. What are you seeing with this going forward? Is this something that can be duplicated other places because it was such a substantial cost savings by what you do? Or can you kind of explain the process of some of the burdens, how you prove the benefit, and then what it looks like going forward? Yeah, so I, I think you're right. And and it's funny that you mentioned that, did we get some pushback? Because I will tell you firsthand when you are a pharmacist and you're in a patient's home and you know their, their blood pressure is to the roof and you need to make some medication changes to address that on the outpatient side. And when you call the physician, the, the physician on the line is usually like, wait a minute, what pharmacy are you calling from? <laughs> They're confused that you're a pharmacist and you're in someone's home and, and that you're with paramedics. And, and this isn't something, this isn't a model that has been tested before and has been done before. We were the first in the nation to incorporate pharmacists with wow. a community paramedicine mobile integrated health program doing the in-home visits and the regular you know, patient assessment. So there was pushback in a sense in the fact that this model of care was so strange from a, from a philosophical standpoint. Yeah. But, you know, a lot of our local physicians now know who my team is and now understand what we're doing and are really engaged in help in, you know, taking our calls and working with us. And we kind of serve as eyes and ears to them now out in the field and in the patient's home to give them a real life depiction of what's happening with their patient. So we did get a little pushback, but we've adapted around some of that. Now, as far as the cost, people are like, oh my gosh, pharmacists are expensive, right? Yeah. Paramedics are way cheaper than pharmacists. <laughs> and that's true. But, but really, you know, in this evaluation, we looked at you know, three three major things, so to speak. So the first thing that we looked at was the number of ambulances that we could prevent being dispatched by solving a medical crisis outpatient, right? So the example I just gave about the hypoglycemia. So instead of calling 911, a patient will call us and, you know, I can manage their hypoglycemia in the field unless it's severe, right, then we can right. we can fix that outpatient without having to tie up an ambulance to transport that patient to the hospital. Patients who are, you know, feeling strange or they've developed a, developed a cough or they're running a fever and they don't have a primary care provider, instead of going to the ER, they can call us and then we can go and help them navigate to urgent care or telehealth or something OTC to address it, right? So we kind of like triage on the spot and we can prevent the ER visit, right? So we're tracking the, the first thing is that we're tracking is, you know, could we prevent an ambulance from being dispatched here? Second thing we're tracking is, can we prevent the ER visit? And then secondary to that, you know, for every, every hundred people or every hundred visits walking into the ER in Manatee County, 17 to 18 of those 100 visits are going to end up admitted. So our hospitalization rate is about 17 or 18 percent here wow. in Manatee County. So by tracking the number of ER visits that we were able to prevent and going along with that rate, we realized that over the three years we were able to prevent, you know, not only all of those ambulances being dispatched and not only all of those ER visits, but we also prevented approximately 180 hospitalizations. 
And when you start talking hospitalization numbers, I mean, the average length of stay here for our patient population with their comorbidities is about four and a half days. So you're talking, what, 80-something grand or so? For, oh, geez. At a minimum for, for that hospitalization that CMS is paying. And so when you do those numbers, when you add all of those things up, our team directly resulted in a minimum of like $4.3 million over three years of savings. And the range of that was between like 4 and $7 million over the three years. And, and that's just in one county in Manatee, Florida, which if I, if I Google this correctly, there's only about 300 some thousand people. This isn't like, you know, uh, Dade County, Broward County, any of those big ones, or even where I live up here in Ohio with Cleveland, Cuyahoga County, which is, you know, multiple times bigger than that. Correct. Yeah. And, you know, what we have found is that the savings related to medication non-adherence and medication adverse effects even add an additional at a minimum, another 800000 to those savings. And, you know, depending on the report that you're reading and the data that you're looking at, some of those sources would, ex- you know, would extend additional savings of like another $10 million. So that range is huge because the data that we have on non-adherence costs and drug adverse event costs are so highly variable. So, so we're looking at, you know, four to seven million dollars on the conservative side and probably, you know, at a minimum another eight hundred thousand dollars over that three years, but upwards possibly of, you know, eight, nine, ten million even. Yeah. Um, that's huge. The other thing that's been Yeah, it's huge, right? And and you know, when we talk about those numbers and it's like, well, this seems unreal, right? But But if we think about the partnership, it really is the partnership and how beautiful the partnership is, is is why this is working. So think about it like this, right? So you're in the pharmacy, your patient walks in, you know, they're tachycardic, they're sweaty. Uh, You you can call their physician, right? And the physician's going to say, he has to to go to the ER. I can't assess him, right? Mm -hmm. You can't assess him. You can't do an EKG. You can't run the vitals. That's not part of your scope of practice, right? To run an EKG and interpret that. But if you have a pharmacist and a paramedic, this is what paramedics do, right? Paramedics are trained to assess and report to physicians on the acute disease process. And so if we're in a patient home and they're having A, B, and C symptoms, then the paramedic can assess all of the vitals, provide all of that patient assessment data to the physician. And myself as the pharmacist, I have the med list, I have their disease list, I can make the recommendation for what medication changes would help to solve that problem or that acute disease exacerbation. Um, that won't cause drug interactions, that, you know, balances the pa- with the patient's insurance and all of those other elements, right? And so it really is the partnership between the paramedic and the pharmacist that empowers that mobile integrated health team to make an effective intervention with that physician team. Yeah, that's that's amazing. I've actually had some personal stories with this uh, at various points in my life. One when I was in pharmacy school and my grandfather was not very adherent with a lot of his diabetes medications. And I was the first one there before the ambulance. I lived in a more rural area outside of Cleveland at the time. And I had a basically like triage situation, call 911, get his, you know, get do everything like you're kind of talking about. And when they arrived, granted, I was not the pharmacist at the time, 
but I was able to just like rattle off the med list, rattle off this, rattle off all these different disease states and really like help them with that. Probably more than the average patient would just because of my knowledge set at the time. But I've even had to do this uh, more recently when uh, my wife had a scare and she was at work and I got to ride along. You know, I sped over there and actually beat the ambulance there and then got to ride along with them, uh, with her and kind of go through some other things uh, with the ambulance. And obviously everything turned out well for us, but you know, it was seeing that side of it. I can definitely see where as, as a pharmacist, it made a big difference being able to be there because I was able to have a little bit different conversation than like the average paramedic would. And those were a little bit more of uh, the extreme situations, if you will. But if you're looking at preventing things like that, I can bring a totally different ball game with, with our knowledge set as pharmacists to this because of the things you just said. And when it comes to balancing the drugs, making some, I don't want to say higher level decisions, but kind of using what we know and the paramedics can do to, to find a better answer at times like that. So I think that this is a huge game changer. When it comes to replicating this in other cities or other states, what do you think is like like a good way to kind of go about that so that it can be duplicated? Because with the savings you're talking about and with the current times we're in of, of COVID where budgets are going to be strapped going forward here, this is something that could really be rolled out pretty quickly and save who knows how much money across you know the major cities in the United States. What do you think could be done so that cities could duplicate this or pharmacists could help kind of push this idea forward from some stuff that you've done? So I think that, first of all, I'll just comment on, on some of the things you just mentioned. You know, like the story with your grandfather or the story with your wife, so many of our underserved populations, you know, maybe they don't speak English. Maybe they don't have anyone in the home that can even start to provide that information. Right. They live alone, right? And and they have no social support and things. And so the community paramedics and the pharmacist team or the mobile integrated health teams can play a huge role in advocating for those or advocating for those that don't have a voice and have absolutely no aid. Because you're right, it's a terrifying situation. And the ability to do that can really minimize the number of errors, right, in in what's happening and knowing the patient's history. As far as replicating it, it, it depends on, you know, the needs of every community, right? Every community is going to look a little bit different. And so the mobile integrated health teams and their focuses are going to be different in every city. So we have, you know, we have some community paramedicine teams that are all mental health driven. They don't do any chronic disease management like my team does. Now, that's just the difference in the the number one priorities from a public health standpoint in one community for, versus the next. So that would be the first step is really making sure that we have a good handle on what the community needs of, you know, each area are and how can we develop a, a paramedic pharmacist partnership or a mobile integrated health partnership that meets that need. So I think that, you know, that's the first step that we have to really start to evaluate. The next thing is it is super easy to implement a program like this, right? In, in the conceptual standpoint, um, now, logistically, there are a lot of things that, you know, you have to double check and you have to figure out software and you have to figure out operational processes and how to track your data and billing and, and all of these different elements. So it is a little bit more difficult to get it going. But the good news is that there are, well, let me think, when in 2016, there were probably only like 60 or 70 uh, mobile integrated health programs nationwide. Now there's 
four to five hundred, I would guess. That's an educated guess. I don't know that data for sure. Okay. But I mean, the the growth in hundreds of different cities across the nation is definitely there, and those mobile integrated health teams are are in a perfect spot. And I feel like, in my opinion, they're primed and ready that they've already started the paramedic operations. And now their teams are ready to say, let's fix some of the disease and medication issues that we're finding. So, yeah, I think you hit it right there with uh, how to address this, that different communities are going to have different needs. You being down in Florida, me being in Ohio, very different counties, very different populations. But there's, there could very well be a need for this, but it does need to be addressed on a community-by-community community or state-by-state state basis with that. Um, I, I love this. I think it's a great way for pharmacists, especially as we're looking at facing some things like provider status going forward here and some of the changes that could really happen, that this is a great way that we could really be integrated and not just to expand pharmacists, but really to expand healthcare and access in a way that you know improves it and drives down costs that we haven't really seen in the current model very much around the United States. So thank you so much for leading this. I can't say that enough, but I think that this is an awesome, an awesome way for pharmacists to really make a huge difference outside of the box, which I think just speaks to why you're a next generation pharmacy finalist here. Thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah, it's definitely, you know, something I'm, in, I'm incredibly passionate about. And that's an element of, of why I, you know, founded this company is because, you know, I'm, I'm very passionate about helping these teams connect to the pharmacist that is best skilled for the needs of their community, right? So, you know, a lot of people still don't even know what a pharmacist does, and that's a battle that we fight every day <laughs> with the general public, right? Not understanding what we do. But, you know, think about the example I gave where we have a community paramedicine program where they have, you know, all mental health and substance abuse as their program focus. But we have we have pharmacists that are you know, mental health and, and, and psychiatric pharmacist specialists. So, you know, we we can connect these teams to the resource that they need. And so that's definitely my my biggest passion that I have that I have discovered over the last three years. And I'm here for it. I'm I'm super excited to move it forward. Awesome. So, hey, before I dive into the two questions I ask everyone who comes on this podcast, I want to give you a plug because I've been following you for a while with what you've done with this. And every time I see you talk about it, I think you're more passionate in person than maybe you're letting on here. I think you're a little humble like I am at times. Uh, Mobile Health Consultants, <laughs> Inc. That's what it's called. Mobile Health Consultants, Inc. Victoria Reinhardt's, uh, I'll spell your last name, R-E-I-N-H-A-R-T-Z. She's the founder and CEO of it. Uh, she does an amazing job with this. And when we're looking at, you know, saving upwards of $10 million or possibly even more in one of the smaller counties in Florida, that's a huge number. Like that's a number that should really, anybody who is a politician who's listening to this idea or like, you know, a county executive, when they start hearing that they could save that much money or a state Medicaid program could save that in one county, that's going to make their ears perk up a little bit here and start paying attention when you're talking figures with millions in it. So that's just a good way to have that discussion so that we can kind of roll with programs like this. And I don't want to overwork uh, Victoria here, but this could be something that, you know, she could really help with that. And because of her passion with it, I think she's the perfect person to really help lead this fight. Now, I don't think 300 County is going to call you up for this podcast necessarily get this started, but I, I hope I would love to hear that happen. So if people could share this for sure, I would, I would love to see this happen and so we can help expand pharmacy, whether it be in a rural area or even in a city area, very different needs, but they both could have a huge need for this type of service. So thanks for what you do. Well, thank you for that. You're right. I, I do tend to be a little bit more humble about it. I try to 
but it, it is something that once you start, you know, once you start having the conversation with me, then, you know, anybody and everybody, I'll talk to, to them about it because this really is, you know, where my heart is. And I, I see that, you know, we have pharmacists and we have, we have all of EMS and it's two professions that, you know, really have the potential to make huge differences in the quality of life of our patients in disease outcomes and in reducing healthcare costs. And so if we can do that, why would we not do that? Right. And, yeah. and these people need us. They, they don't have access to the care they need and they need us and, and we can help them. So, yeah, I appreciate that very much. No. Yeah. This is like one of those ones. that's like a quadruple win, if you will. It's a win for the patient. It's a win for us as pharmacists and our profession, which we're seeing major issues on like the retail and the normal fronts we're normally dealing with, but it's also a win for healthcare, government expenditures, and for those who are impoverished. So, I mean, Hey, I, I can't support this enough, which is why I wanted you on here. So I'm going to move on to the questions I ask everyone who comes on the podcast. If you could change one thing about pharmacy overall, what would you change? One thing only. It's so hard to pick one thing, right? <laughs> that's the that's the difficulty for me. You know, I'm gonna switch gears just a little bit here because, you know, my background. So of course, my big passion, right, is implementing pharmacists within mobile integrated health teams. But I am a professor at LeCom, and I I do work within the the pharmacy practice element. So doing a lot of like pharmacotherapeutic courses and things like that. And what I have found is that, you know, with provider status on the horizon, one of the bigger things people are worried about is liability. And what will happen once pharmacists are able to, you know, order labs and, and change medications and do medication therapy management on independently and all of those things, right? And yeah. so liability is an issue. Even pharmacists as our own profession, we're divided about what that will look like and, and how we will shape that. And so, you know, being in education and, and looking at all these schools opening and, and more students struggling on the boards and, you know, other professions, physicians, et cetera, being concerned about the liability piece, you know, I think there's a way that we can minimize some of that liability and better prepare our students who are, you know, currently enrolled in pharmacy school better prepare them for provider status because it is on the horizon, you know, the the impact that we make on care and the improvement to access to care that we have as a profession is, it's undeniable at this point. The data speaks for itself, right? So yeah. provider status is on the horizon. And I really think that if I could change one thing about the profession at this point, I would implement across every school of pharmacy more intense board testing. So, you know, we have our boards when we graduate, but think about physician boards. So they have their step exams, right? So they do their first two years of school and then they have their step exams. So they have their first step of their board exam. And then they, in their fourth year, they have their second step. I believe it's in the fourth year. And then they do residency and they have their final, you know, their final um, board exam. And I feel like if pharmacy as a profession and within all of the schools of pharmacy, if standards for testing, like similar to what a physician undergoes, where you had to pass stepwise boards were implemented, that it, it would better prepare our pharmacists for provider status, that it would reduce liability in that sense, and it would help to improve board scores 
by the time students are actually finished with their education. And it would also help to fix some of the saturation issues that we're looking at. So I know that's a little bit different than what we've been talking about for the last 20 minutes, but I can't deny what my experience has been within education. And, you know, maybe it's not a popular opinion, but that's, I think, what I would like to change. No, I, I actually appreciate that. That's one I've, no one said in this podcast that I haven't thought of until you brought it up. So I definitely appreciate that. If you could change one law about pharmacy, federal or state, what would you change and why? So there's so many that we could change, <laughs> right? We PBM reform, uh, you know, limiting spread pricing and the customer steering and all the things that are issues with the PBMs, of course. Yeah. Expanding immunizations is something that is always in our hearts. And, and with COVID, we're seeing and, you know, consideration of that. I, of course, I know that all of my retail colleagues would love limitations on like script count per hour per pharmacist or, yeah. you know, required number of technician hours per script or whatever. So there's so many things and provider status, right? Like that's what we're this is what we're doing with our lives and investing our, our lives towards. I feel like if I could really pick one thing, though, I have found by, you know, working with these mobile integrated health teams that so many of my patients are eligible for chronic care management with their physicians, but they just can't get in there. And the physicians are strapped. The physicians are yeah. being held to, you know, crazy metrics themselves. And so a lot of physicians aren't billing for chronic care management. Um, a lot of patients aren't getting the benefit of chronic care management and medication therapy management through their physician's office. And in my like dream world, there would be regulations put in place that every single patient with chronic disease has to have not just chronic care management, but really intense medication evaluation and disease evaluation with a pharmacist at least twice a year. So, and this would be on top of the chronic care management. So basically it would not only help to help the physicians ensure that they have that extra source of income by the fact that now each of those patients are being captured under chronic care management, but it would ensure that every single patient with chronic diseases is having at least twice a year collaboration between a pharmacist and a physician to make sure that their medications are safe amongst all of their healthcare providers. Yeah, that's a that was that's an awesome one, and I think that like, as we kind of hinted to earlier, that provider status would really help kick open the door so that that could happen, so that we could bill for that. Honestly, you know, it's one of those things that people keep hearing bill and payment for, but I think it actually reduce healthcare costs overall by improving health literacy, especially like you're talking about in some of these chronic disease states that are, are just causing so many ER and hospital admissions just like, rolling over, rolling over year on year. Especially when, I mean, you can go back to 2010 and read the Hotspotters article that was in the New Yorker about how one or two percent of the population is responsible for 50 percent of healthcare costs, and they're not going down when it comes to healthcare costs. So focusing on that yeah. would be a huge way to drive it down, like you're doing with your mobile health consultants. So, yeah, I, I'm in total agreement with you on that one. Um, yeah, I mean, I definitely think it's the way of the future. So. Yeah, for sure, and it's it's a spot that pharmacists are really uh, really adept and really able to kind of like bridge that gap, if you will, especially when you look at with some of the changes in automation and things like that with combined with our, our skill set. So, hey, Dr. Reinhardt, thanks for coming on here. I appreciate it. I hope everyone goes and looks up your article that was just published. It's, uh, again, 
It's called Incorporating Pharmacists into Mobile Integrated Health Teams, a Cost-Benefit Analysis. It was in the Journal of Emergency Medical Services 2020. So thanks for coming on, and I appreciate all you do down there. Great. Thanks so much for having me. Awesome. And listeners, if you can uh, share this episode as much as you can, this is something I'm, although I'm not in it myself, I'm really passionate about this. I think we can make a huge, a huge difference. And as always, thanks for listening to the Political Pharmacist Podcast, your prescription for pharmacy and politics. Thank you.